Talks on Psychoanalysis shares topics published in the IPA Society journals and Congress debates worldwide, brought to you in the voices of the original authors. We hope this window will allow you to experience the depth and breadth of psychoanalytic thought around the world. This podcast has been created by Gaetano Pellegrini and edited by Gaetano Pellegrini and Andy Cohen. Introduction read by Andy Cohen. To stay informed about the latest podcast releases, please sign up today. In this episode, Milagros Thietzsanth reflects on the transitional role of the narcissistic double in the constitution of the subject. Considering this transition from the integration of autoeroticisms into a unified narcissism, to the full differentiated object relationship in its alterity and its repercussions on the psychoanalytical cure. Milagros Thietzsanth is a psychiatrist, psychoanalyst, full member and training analyst of the Asociación Psicoanalítica de Madrid, where she has held various positions, including president of the APM from 2006 to 2009. She's the current editor-in-chief of La Revista de Psicoanalysis de la Asociación Psicoanalítica de Madrid. At the EPF, the European Psychoanalytical Federation, she's been member of the Scientific Committee for the Congress of the FEP. In 2020, she became co-chair for Europe for the IPA Ethical Committee, and from 2009 until 2011, European representative member of the IPA Outreach Committee, presented at many European and Latin American conferences and clinical presentations, and has authored over 50 psychoanalytical articles, book reviews, and collective books. For her complete biography details, please visit the episodes page where you can also find a link to the Spanish edition. This episode is recorded by Elise Ferber. Broken Mirrors The Transitional Function of the Narcissistic Double. The topic I want to share in this podcast is a reflection on the transitional role of the narcissistic double in the constitution of the subject. It corresponds to my research and interest about the modalities of libidinal investments considering the transition from the integration of narcissism to the full differentiated object relationship. The conquest of one's own identity is a long and uncertain process. This process is usually subject to oscillations, more or less intensive, according to the development of narcissism and modalities of object relations and identifications. The earliest exchanges with the object the mother as first seducer, Freud, 1905, as we know, are essentials in the formation of the ego and its progressive differentiation from the object. The connection between narcissism, the double, and the mirroring object are part of the evolution of being in the construction of identity. Its failures are observed in pathological conditions and have technical implications. The introduction of the concept of narcissism represented a change in the first drives theory, which considered the drives to be divided into two groups, sexual drives and drives for self-preservation. The drives for self-preservation were integrated into the libido, opening the way to the second drive theory, which considers the opposition between life drives, eros, and death drives, thanatos. If equating narcissism with self-love constitutes a reduction, and if narcissism denotes an archaic form of interaction, 
then considering that Narcissus perished because he was in love with himself, is to, in fact, reduce the myth. He was in love with a reflection that he failed to recognize as his own. In Ovid's version, when he noticed that this image had no independent existence, but was an illusion, he committed suicide as a fatal destiny. According to Rank, 1914, the creation of the double originally had the sense of conjuring the annihilation of the self. The phenomenon of the double refers to the division of the subject into one self and another self-non-self. On the one hand, it assures his immortality, and on the other, he threateningly announces his death. From the need to immortalize man arises the primitive concept of the soul as a duality, as the first double of the body. The relationship between the double and narcissism is also evidenced contemporaneously with Freud's work on narcissism. Freud, in 1919, pointed out the presence of the uncanny in literature. The ambivalent relationship between the familiar or the homely, heimliche, and the uncanny or the unhomely, unheimliche, are related to certain disorders of the ego. These manifest as regression into periods in which the ego has yet to be clearly differentiated from the outside world or from the other. In a letter to the writer Arthur Schnitzler in May 1922, Freud makes him an intimate confidence about his feeling of the double related to him. I shall make you a confession, though, which you will kindly, in consideration of me, keep to yourself and not share with other friend or stranger. I have been struggling with the question of why I have never, in all these years, made any effort to meet you and to talk with you. The answer to this question contains what appears to me as too intimate a confession. I think I have avoided you out of a kind of fear of finding my own double. In de Musant's view, the double is not a pathological entity, although it can be put to that use. The double is the inevitable consequence of a fundamental split occurring in the early phase of psychic development, when identity is formed. It implies that identity, which we normally tend to consider a unitary feeling, rests, paradoxically, on a divide from which results a capacity for adjustment to various situations. As a result of these considerations, he defined the paraphrenic twin as a psychic being, whose place in nature can be inferred from the traces of it that remain throughout the individual's history. This double twin, emanating from primordial psychic activity, is the expression of a work of personalization to which one can only gain access subsequently during experiences of depersonalization. De Muson, 1999 Compared to Winnicott's transitional object, the paraphrenic twin is a transitional subject and does not exist as a real object as in Winnicott's conceptualization. De Muson does not recognize a precise, certain, and permanent frontier between the ego and the non-ego, but in its place he locates an intermediate space that he calls the spectrum of identity. 
This is defined by the loci and quantities cathected by narcissistic libido, from the narrowest view of the ego to the image of the other in his full alterity. De Muson, 1974 Midway between the extreme poles of the spectrum, there is a zone of floating individuation. In clinical work, his concept of chimera defines the characteristics of this kind of deep unconscious communication between the analytic couple. The mirroring object refers to the dyadic relationship with the mother. The ideal ego as the heir of narcissism leaves the subject vulnerable to the other's glance, looking for an impossible target of perfection. The myth of Narcissus is, in fact, the love of a mirror image that is tragically taken for a real object. His inability to love other objects appears to be linked to Narcissus' early life in the myth. Oscar Wilde, in 1879, gives the myth a rather different ending, emphasizing therein the mirroring function of the object. But I loved Narcissus because as he lay on my banks and looked down at me, in the mirror of his eyes I saw ever my own beauty mirrored. The mirror stage is a concept initially developed by Jacques Lacan in 1936, constituting a period of infant development from 6 to 18 months and lending particular importance to the moment of self-recognition through an exteriorization of one's own image. Later, this allows for a unified interiorization of the previous image of the fragmented body. He insists on the evolutive and structuring aspect of this stage in the recognition of the body image at the beginning of subjectivation. Winnicott, 1967, taking up the metaphor of the mirror from another perspective, emphasizes the mother's gaze as a first indispensable mirror in establishing one's capacity for reverie. This Winnicottian mirror refers more to a stage of subject-object undifferentiation, allowing for the incorporation of the first identificatory sketches. Kohut, 1977, considers the grandiose self to be the pole of the self that draws its strength from the self-object's responses to mirroring needs. The notion is related to mirror transference. If the mirror does not respond to this demand for recognition, as in the story of Snow White, the denial of differences established as protection against feelings of envy and rivalry may become intolerable to the self. As Bruno Bettelheim in 1975 wrote about Snow White's stepmother, the magic mirror represents her narcissism and her constant search for security regarding her beauty, long before the beauty of Snow White eclipses her own. The alternation between ego-libido and object-libido must be understood as a continuous dialectic, since this dialectic has often been displaced in favor of a Manichaean equation of object relation versus the negative aspect of narcissism. The harmonious coexistence of both of them is what actually defines the plasticity of the ego and its creative potentialities. These movements of libidinal investments between the self and the object cannot always be carried out properly, 
the subject remaining, in certain circumstances, fatally caught up in the mirror image necessary for reflecting his existence back to him. The paternal function, as a third in the dyadic mother-baby relationship, facilitates a discontinuity in the mother's investment in the child. An adequate balance between the object's presence and absence is necessary for establishing the representation of the object and its symbolization. The counter-transfer elaboration of non-verbal language can be the first step before giving a meaning by way of interpretation. The elaboration is not an intellectual construction, but rather an interaction between non-verbal and verbal language constituting part of the analytic situation. An analyst's excessive need for mirroring, the identification with the ideal patient's mirroring needs, as well as the difficulty dealing with frustration, can be significant challenges in this kind of mirror transfer. Punctual supervision can be very useful for better working through possible impasses or risks of sudden treatment abandonment. The analyst constantly scans his internal space, observing the interplay and interaction of the two minds and feelings. The third, in the analyst's mind, allows him to work simultaneously on two different levels. The internal frame, accompanying the external frame, creates a secure space as a possible source of creativity, restoring the triangulation. Mm.